You're listening to How I Sell, a podcast built for early career sales professionals. You'll hear stories, best practices, and guidance from top sales leaders on what it takes to become a sales superstar. Today's episode is made possible by Ramped Careers. Ramped is on a mission to build the next generation of workforce-ready talent. All right. Thanks for joining us back on our podcast today. I have a special guest for us, one of my dear, dear friends, the founder of Eterno, fractional VP of BD for Hire, former OATV investor, former Shippo VP of BD, the former head of sales intelligence at Groupon, and an Ian's Pizza Ops extraordinaire. Uh, my dear friend, uh, my brother, and technically that makes him the uncle to my child, Nima Eliasirad. How are you, sir? I'm well, brother. How are you, Danny? I am doing well. I'm doing well. Did I miss anything, first of all? No, you're kind. I think you captured the bulk of it. I mean, you know, there's there's some other random stuff I've done, like telemarketing and, you know, selling boom boxes at Best Buy, we, but we can skip over those. <laughs> we, we may end up returning to those because I do, I do think our audience will be, will be happy to know how you got your start in sales. But first and foremost, I want them to know who is Nima from your perspective. Uh, I'm 40% Iranian, 40% Midwestern, and maybe 20% Silicon Valley. Um, 100% soccer, as you can tell from behind me. Um, 100% hip hop, sales, BD, logistics, uh, and, and all around, I guess, music, but leaning hip hop. I love that. And one thing that I noted there, and I had a feeling you would start this way, but when we ask others who they are, generally they start with the professional and you went straight to who you are as a human. And I've always loved that about you, but I, I certainly love, and I, I know our audience will love that. You can also be a human in addition to be a salesperson. On your uh, on your LinkedIn profile, I noticed it says Ferris wheel operator. Could you give us more insight to what that actually means? <laughs> um, I, I sometimes feel like I do a lot of things at the same time. So it always feels like things are spinning. I always have more than one plate in the air. And that tagline just, kind of stuck with me. I've actually had a real life Ferris wheel operator try to connect with me on LinkedIn and I've never felt like more of a fraud. But you know, I think I've been, uh, my, my career path has definitely been uh, non-traditional. Uh, I've, I've probably haven't spent more than two to three years doing any one thing. And the, the company that I'm, I've been trying to build now, Eterno, that's probably been the longest thing I've actually spent time on. That's crazy. And we'll, we'll touch on Eterno certainly later in the interview, but why, why do you think that is? So from your perspective, you know, and, and I'm the same way, frankly, uh, jumping around from idea to idea, is it the idea that captures you? Is it the mission? You know, what about moving from place to place has categorized or, or, or why have you done that throughout your career? <laughs> the, the truth of it is, I think when I was younger, it was almost out of, um, desperation and needing to uh, find different things to do. Uh, that's the honest answer. Uh, as I've gotten older, one of the things that's become more and more crystallized for me is uh, I have two high level questions. Am I learning and am I contributing? And the moment I start to feel that I'm not learning at the rate that 
I feel like I should be learning or that I'm not contributing at the level that I should be contributing at, then that's typically the moment that I feel like I need to change. Makes sense. Makes sense. It's beautifully put. So take us back to the year 2000. Uh, Baby Nima is about to jump into his freshman year at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Who were you then? And at that point in time, who did you want to become? Uh, Then I definitely wanted to own a business. All I knew was I wanted to uh, build a company, um, get wealthy, and use that wealth to help people. That was the only thing that I had really in my head. The ideas were not flushed out. But yeah, that's kind of where I was. And, you know, I read one marketing book. I read Kellogg on marketing. And so I thought I knew everything about marketing. And that's uh, when Ian's Pizza uh, shouts to Ian when he had opened his first store. I remember walking into his store and telling him how he ought to run his business. And after four or five times, you know, one day I'm sitting in his uh, store eating a pizza. He came in and sat next to me and was like, hey, do you want a job? And so (laughs) that sort of ended up being my first real hands-on operational role where a young entrepreneur who today by all definitions is incredibly successful, took me under his wing. And yeah, that that first experience was uh, life-changing for me. It's awesome. Uh, And and certainly certainly non-traditional in terms of what we see in some of our audience members, but nonetheless, extremely, extremely important. And, you know, that that person-to-person contact or selling things, you know, in an actual live setting, I think, is invaluable experience. Some of the best salespeople I've ever worked with have come from that environment where they actually get to have that human interaction face-to-face. So they know how to apply that to some of the conversations they're having over Zoom or over their phone calls, et cetera. Uh, and, And shout out to Ian's for some of the most delicious pizza of all time, especially and specifically after 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> most definitely. <laughs> um, okay, so so Ian's happens, you're, you're at Madison. After graduation, what happens next? It sounds like you tried to start a few businesses or tried to start several things. Yeah, uh, so right out of school, um, you know, like everybody else, I went and got a day job. And then I would come home 5.30, 6 p.m. and start working on my own ideas uh, every night until, you know, 10, 10.30. Um, and that's the only way I knew how. Uh, so I did that for a couple of years. And I remember reading an article by Brad Feld. And that was sort of my first introduction to venture capital. I actually didn't know that you could go and ask people for money. So uh, through, through Brad Feld, I, I, I learned about Brad Wilson and I learned about Bryce Roberts. Uh, Fred Wilson of Union Square Ventures and Bryce Roberts of OATV slash NDVC. So I just studied the hell out of anything these these people wrote. What they were doing seemed aspirational to me. That was sort of when I set my goals on, hey, maybe someday I can become a venture capitalist. And you know what I was sharing with you earlier about wanting to build a business and 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 hopefully generate some wealth and use that wealth for good. I felt that venture capital was this tool that. Uh, by virtue of using that tool, you were helping other people build um, businesses and, and create jobs and create wealth for others. So um, it, it almost felt like a leveraged tool that would help me get there faster. So in in that process of learning about venture capital, I got much more interested in finance as a whole. So I started learning more about corporate finance and the history of finance and the history of debt and how ultimately financial financial instruments are created 
and always sold first before they're bought. Yeah, that makes sense. And so this all seems a bit of kind of to the side or next to sales. So when we think about sales from your perspective, did you find sales or did sales find you? I think sales found me. I mean, my first real sales job was, I, I referenced boomboxes. My friend Olivier got me a job at Best Buy and I started selling, you know, I was in the audio department. I still love audio things. I was a huge hit with grandma's crush, <laughs> you know, every hundred, hundred, the hundred to hundred and fifty dollar boom box was like my market. I was selling that like there was no tomorrow, but I was also passionate about it. I genuinely knew what the product was. And again, like now looking back, those are exactly the kind of things that you need to sell. You know, I think anytime I, I come across someone who, whenever they say, you know, oh, I'm not a good salesperson or I don't know how to sell. The question I ask them is, immediately what are you passionate about and then like whatever they say right like twitter facebook it doesn't matter and then i'm like cool tell me about it and then they start talking about it i'm like you just sold me on whatever you were just talking about it's just if you're into it you can sell it if you're not into it it's a lot harder or if there's not a value proposition it's a lot harder but if you can have a personal connection with what you're selling that's the dream now that's not always the case like you know i was that was that was my first sort of informal sales job was selling boom boxes but you know shortly after that i was doing telemarketing which you know, looking back that was like sandpaper on my soul you know i was the guy calling your house at you know 6 30 at night when you're right. about to sit down with, your, with with teddy eat lunch you know eat dinner and your and your wife eat dinner and i'm the guy who's calling you saying hey do you want to donate to xyz oh boy um, oh boy but it was a great 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 experience and getting rejected all the time. Um, and, you know, I think, I think rejection is highly undervalued, especially when you're younger. Um, it helped, you know, it, it helped develop the uh, uh, sort of this loose framework that you and I have always joked about, which is, you know, there's no, there's no such thing as a no. There's just yeses and soft yeses in sales, unless, <laughs> unless, we, dis unless we disqualify the prospect. But if we've qualified you, then, you know, there's only a yes or a soft yes. It might take five years for you to get to a hard yes, but we'll start with the soft yes. Yeah, the, the action there is just, you know, <laughs> set, set the task for six months out and then another task for two years out and make sure you're following up so that they remember you, your face, your persona when you call them. And then the other thing I noticed is in your boombox sales adventure, it seems like you nailed your ideal customer profile. You know, if you're, if you're talking to the, uh, the 65 and older grandmas, then, you know, the, you, whether you knew it or not, you just, you honed in on who was your buyer and you attacked them. And, and, and that was your thing. I definitely didn't know it, but you know, it kind of worked out. Lucky for me. <laughs> That's great. So we know we, we, we know that you know sales kind of found you and you liked finance. Where did the merger happen? Where did the combination obviously next up is is Groupon or around that time and that's where we synced up, but where was the merger and how did you how did you express that? Honestly, the the uh, probably the biggest break in my career came when I joined Groupon. So, so that pathway to finance, as I was mentioning, one of the businesses that I launched that actually worked was sort of a mini hedge fund. We had some success in 2008, but then liquidity dried up. So we had to figure out what to do. We closed shop. I ended up going to grad school. I built another model in grad school. Once I graduated, I was trying to sell that model to you know bigger hedge funds like BE Shaw, so on and so forth. Three months out of school, 
didn't have a didn't have a steady income. Um, I needed to find something, and somehow, to this day, I'm still grateful. But somehow, a recruiting firm, a, a temp temp agency recruiting firm, had got my number, and they called me, and I was genuinely desperate just to have a job. So I went in. They called on a Tuesday. I went in on a Thursday, and you know, they told us there's a uh, big growing company in 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 Chicago. Um, turned out to be Groupon, that they're looking for sales reps. And again, being desperate for a job, I just took it. I joined uh, the mobile division, which was new at the time, uh, called Groupon Now, which I'm sure you remember. So I was I was one of the first, uh, in, in the first cohort of sales reps for Groupon Now. Uh, for folks uh, you know, watching and listening to this, this is back in uh, iPhone 3G era, <laughs> where you know if you, if you fired up that location on your iPhone, your phone will be dead within 30 minutes, <laughs> but, but it was an exciting time. And, you know, I got to work with some incredible people. Um, Joel and Jill were two people who were heading up that group. And, you know, they sort of taught us everything we needed to know at the time Groupon now didn't even exist as a product. We were literally selling off of a one page PDF, which was a interesting lesson for me to try to simplify sales and, and really sell a concept before it, even existed. Learned a ton, ton, ton from that experience. And then from there, there's a gentleman by the name of Greg Rudin, who I will be forever grateful to. Greg is actually the GM at Menlo Labs for Menlo Ventures now, but at the time, and he was actually the original COO for The Point, which is the predecessor to Groupon. And I remember approaching, in, in one of the town halls at Groupon that Andrew Mason would typically do, I started learning after two to three months uh, doing sales that Groupon was predominantly a data-driven company, or at least they were trying to leverage that data to drive insights. So I remember I, I approached uh, Joel saying, hey, you know, I know a thing or two about spreadsheets. I can make cupcakes in them. And, you know, he introduced me to Greg, who introduced me to a data scientist. And from that, I got a shot at, you know, working on a project with Samir Marani, who's now the uh, uh, founder and CEO of InstaWork. And, you know, Samir gave me a chance. And from there, uh, I had the pleasure of meeting you and the rest is history. And there we go. And now we're, now we're off. Now that's, that's, that's a really cool story. I think a few things stand out to me about that one. You took a leap of faith. You kind of went on, it sounds like a little bit of guts, a little bit of intuition, a, a bit of urgency, if you will, we'll, we'll rephrase desperation. I think it was urgency. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and then just hustled, right? You, you jumped at the opportunity didn't necessarily know cold calling as neither did I when I started at Groupon, didn't know how to sell something off a piece of paper and, and just ran with it. And then when the opportunity came to be, you know, when you got your shots, you raised your hand and impressed because you had been training for it, what seems like your whole life, right? You, you knew finance, you it knew spreadsheets. Yeah. 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 Yes. And That's I guess, awesome. and you know, in, in, in the first, in the first shot I got, actually, I was still a sales rep. And then essentially once, you know, I'd show up nine to five and do my calls and do my 60 to 80 calls and send my emails. And uh, from 5 p.m. to, you know, whatever, 10 p.m., I'd, I'd work on these analytics projects that, you know, Greg and company or Samir and company had given me. Uh, and then once I delivered that, then they were kind enough to sort of off, essentially like create this role for me where I became like a, I think uh, they called it city analyst back then. Uh, so I was Boston's, as a market, I was their sort of first city analyst. I, I do remember those days. It was, uh, you know, on the, on the Wacker Street 
at the Wacker Street office, it'd be, you know, a few of us hanging out late into the night. It's, <laughs> yeah, I, I basically remember, you know, you, Samir, Matt, Jacobson, and a few others right. all staying there until, you know, 7, 8, 9 p.m. when the rest of the floor was empty. It's, it's, it was a stark contrast to the daytime when everything was like loud and boisterous. It was just uh, a few of us just sitting around like waving across the room. <laughs> hey. Oh, I definitely remember waving it. Waving at you and uh, eating stale pizzas. Those are like two vivid memories. <laughs> those are those are great. Those are great. So, so thinking through that, and I think I guess this is it's a good segue because one of one of the things we like to ask our guests uh, are about mentors because we we know um, and for what we teach and for what we know and what I know, uh, mentors play a massive role in the formation of any career. You mentioned a few, but. Who are some of your mentors and how have they helped you throughout your career? Oh, man, I wouldn't be here if it was for so many people helping me. And, and hand on heart, uh, working at Groupon in terms of sales and, and sales operations specifically was my, my biggest and most important experience. And it wasn't necessarily just one person. It was, you know, it, it felt like, especially in retrospect, being on a championship team, right? It didn't, it didn't matter if I was starting or if I was on the bench. I felt like I was in a room with a group of elite people and hand on heart, people like you, people like Catherine Lanham, people like Andrew Graham, people like Jane. I mean, there were so many incredible salespeople and, and sales operations people, right? Emmanuel, Chris, Rajan, all these people who came through. And I think every person leaves a little bit of wisdom with you or gives you something that on that next call or that next effort, it actually stays with you. I mean, I'll never forget, seriously, like this is actually super vivid for me. Uh, Kathleen Lennon was one of the best salespeople I've ever had the privilege of working with. She was so methodical and so structured about how she went about her sales. It was not a random walk. You know, her days were planned out. It was very structured. You know, she'd, she'd crush 60 calls a day when most would struggle to make 10. Uh, and she would do it with ease, right? But she had a very sort of methodical procedure for how she went about it. Yeah, so all these people, it just kind of adds up. It's never, you know, despite the headlines, it's never the, this one thing that happens. It's often many, 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 many small things that compound. And then all of a sudden that growth, uh, there's sort of a step function. So it's never this straight line. It's almost like this slow wave weavy situation that goes on. And then there's like a step function where everything sort of clicks in. And I suppose one main thing I've learned and I would definitely impress upon younger folks uh, watching and listening is it's not, you know, it's not about the number of times you succeed. It's more about the magnitude of your success. Uh, and, and so much of that is just, trying and trying and trying and failing. I mean, by the numbers, I've no doubt failed at 99.9 .9 into infinity of the things that I've attempted. You just need a handful of things to work out in a given year to sort of make it make your year. Um, <laughs> and you know, you, you, you've really taught me this. I mean, you've, you've been one of the best coaches I've had, especially or that I've had even the privilege of working with and, 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 and witnessing. But putting in that activity. Yeah, we're talking about practice, right? Like putting in the work actually matters. Uh, it, it might feel like sandpaper on your soul every day, but one day that water breaks through the, breaks through the rocks. 
Yep. And then you make it. We're talking about practice, man. You're making me blush a little bit. <laughs> <too>. <laughs> it's true. Uh, um, so, so that that's awesome. And yeah, I mean, Groupon was is such a magical experience to be. Is it was really a privilege to work with so many A players. And uh, and shout out to Lenham, uh, wherever she is now because there would be times when the room would stop in awe of her cold calls. You know, there'd be like a, a pod around her, whether she realized it or not, just listening in to, uh, to, to how she just dominated some of those calls. So that was, that was really special times. Uh, or that was really a special time. So, so, okay. So, so group on happens, you've got your, your crew of mentors. Now you're ready to supercharge the next part of your career. You jump out to Silicon Valley and become, you know, this BD whiz, right? You pick some awesome companies. Um, you've got Chippo. You've got a bunch of other, a, a bunch of other companies. Uh, and then you go on to. I'm making this sound easy, by the way. And you go on to launch your your uh, your, your your business, Eterno, your passion project, which has turned into a, to a business. So, how did that come to be? And what did you pull on the sales road to to get it to where it where it is now? I mean, um, once uh, my wife and I moved to Silicon Valley, the dream then was to become a venture capitalist. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have a network. Uh, so that you know, it was it was back to sales 101. Showing up to every, I mean, really five days a week after work, showing up to you know different meetups, uh, trying to build my network, writing cold emails. To anyone and everyone I could get a hold of, uh, through that process, you know, through a friend of a friend, I got introduced to Ben Narison, who now is a, a venture partner at NEA. Ben and I connected right away. He's a sales guy. I'm a sales guy. We spoke the same language. He was kind enough to introduce me to a handful of his portfolio companies. I got to work with a few of them, and you know, one thing add one thing added to another, and another, and another, and um, you know, I ended up first. Um, contacting the founders of, of, of Shippo to see if I could be an advisor to them. They were kind enough to give me a full-time offer. I joined. That has been, without a doubt, one of the best experiences, uh, career experiences for, for me personally in terms of growth, the same way you know, working at Ian's Pizza and working at Groupon was. It, again, it was one of those step function events for, for me personally. You know, I'd never worked on, I'd never done part sales, transactional sales, but I hadn't done part and I'd never done, you know, one to $30 million annual deals. Uh, and so that itself, again, it's, it's this, um, going back to, am I learning and am I contributing? It was a, it was genuinely a learning experience for me where I had to reach out to OGs and try to learn from them. How do you actually sell a contract that's 30 million, right? It's one thing to sell a hundred dollar boom box. But how do you sell a contract worth 20 million, 10 million a year to somebody who has many different stakeholders? And, you know, we we're joking about uh, sales cycles taking long. I mean, some of the deals that have come to fruition uh, for me this year, genuinely, I started those relationships five years ago. And that's just Crazy. what it is. Sometimes Crazy. it takes time. Um, big company, you know, under understanding who you're selling to. And understanding that, you know, life and relationships are longer than a one-time transactional sale, I think has been the biggest learning in, in sales in general for me. Don't treat 
don't treat stuff as transactional, even if it is transactional, even if it is a one-time sale. If you have the opportunity to learn about the person that you're speaking with and or the organization you're speaking with, what motivates them, what drives them, and, and tailor your solution to help them, I guarantee you you'll, you'll increase the odds of your success. I'll share a, a personal anecdote of a story. This gentleman by the name of Holger, he's an OG BD person. He's been everywhere from T-Mobile to Foursquare to Postmates, now at Google. You know, I had the privilege of uh, sort of having a session with him and, and learning the ropes about, you know, how do you do proper business development? How do you do proper partnerships? And he, he shared this one nugget that's just completely stuck with me. And he said, if you're not spending a third of your time researching, you're not doing your job. And that was almost foreign to me. You know, I always felt like, okay, Danny, he's my target. I need to go after him. Or, you know, maybe I'd look at his LinkedIn, but that would be it. Now I'm going to look at, you know, who's Danny Leonard? Where did he go to school? Uh, do I know anyone that's connected to him? What company is he at now? Do we have any past connections? This company is at now. How long has he been at this company? Has the company put out any press releases that relates to what I'm about to contact him about to talk to him about? I just spend a lot more time researching a prospect now before outreach. And that's genuinely been a game changer, both in terms of like cold, just sending out cold notes, writing cold, thoughtful emails. Sometimes, Again, this might sound crazy, and maybe it's just me, but sometimes it takes me an hour to write a two-line email. It genuinely does, um, and that's okay. As long as they open the email and respond, that's all I care about. <laughs> so if it takes an hour, it takes an hour. Yep, that's great, that's great. I think we've got, we, we really do have Nima, the former boombox salesman, dropping complete <laughs> bombs on us right now because he has turned his, $150 purchase into a career selling one to $5 million deals. So I think for our audience, pay attention to this. It's very important, especially the portions about research. That is crazy, crazy important. And if you wind up in a job where, yes, you're selling these complex deals, it's okay to spend that amount of time to send those two-line emails as long as they're getting opens and they're getting responses. So great, great thread there. Um, Massively important, massively important. Thanks for sharing that. So I want to talk about, you know, your, your current venture, because we haven't talked about that enough. So Eterno and, you know, how you've pulled these threads from early in, in your career, or what you're doing now with some of the BD work and applying what you've learned in sales to this new venture. So how, how is that? How has that happened? How have you applied sales and and where do you see it going next? It's a great question. I mean, Eterno in truth is still not a business, um, meaning we're not self-sustaining. So uh, I still consult on the side. I consult for Shippo and I have uh, I serve as an advisor to uh, Arca and Equities End. But for me, Eterno is very much a passion project and I'm fortunate enough to be able to, um, you know, have a day job that, that pays uh, pays the bills plus pays for self-funding this business. The part of Eterno that's been uh, incredibly challenging for me, but the good part of the challenge is I learn, even if I don't contribute, at least I'm learning, is uh, how to better understand consumer. I think, uh, not I think, I mean, most of my career, I've only really sold to businesses and how I 
I can hopefully unlock that B2B uh, uh, sales mentality to the consumer side. Well, that's that's right now the challenge that I have. The part of it that's been super fun and that I've been leveraging a lot of the experiences uh, I've had from the past is, you know, reaching out to folks who are much, much bigger than we are uh, to try to set up interviews, to try to set up, um, you know, the sort of podcast interviews with them and, and really just build a relationship with them. In fact, one of the people uh, that I that I most admire I sort of just reached out to him cold and, you know, he actually, he, he decided not to work with us directly, but I've been building a, a uh, friendship with him. And so we, we talk almost daily now on WhatsApp, uh, even though we're not doing business. And, you know, even at the time I told him, I said, look, if, if this doesn't come to fruition today, that's okay. I'm genuinely interested in what you're doing. And I meant that from the heart. Um, I mean, I own like three of the things he's produced. And so I think, Again, always, always play the long game. You know, I, I try to remind myself that Nike was in Nike for nine years and we're talking about Nike. Yeah. So who the hell am I? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, um, again, again, so, <laughs> boombox salesperson to uh, do $5 million deals. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> it took some uh, time, but yeah, thank you. Um, so if we could, if we could go back in time, let's call it to 2004 upon graduation where most of our audience is, and you could give, you know, Nima, the college grad, any piece of advice that you now know, knowing all of these experiences, meeting all these people, all these mentors, uh, what would that, what would that advice be? Take more shots on goal. Uh, never be afraid. I mean, some of the biggest deals now that I've worked on, I swear have been cold LinkedIn messages to, you know, a VP at a $250 billion public company, which just, he doesn't know me. I don't know him. You know, maybe I spent six, seven hours researching what they do. And, you know, I wrote him a, as, as tight a LinkedIn note as I could. And thankfully he responded, but, but taking that chance on yourself, if you feel like you can, and you want to go work with someone, never be afraid to write that cold note. I think you know, there, there are many great things about um, the, the culture in Silicon Valley. Uh, but one of the things that sometimes I think clouds people is this idea of, of selling cold that you always need intros. And it's just not true. At least I can tell you in my career, I have not gotten anything because of that. It's always been, I mean, I got to work with one of my heroes, Bryce Roberts, by writing him literally a cold email. And out of that sort of came an opportunity. He said, hey, do you want to talk? And then, you know, when, when somebody like that gives you the chance to, to be at the table with him, you know, you got to, to be on the court with him, you got to shoot your shot. So I actually ended up, you know, he lives in Salt Lake City. I ended up buying a plane ticket. I went overnight to, to Salt Lake City. I went to, you know, this cafe that he, he which unfortunately closed because of COVID. But anyway, I went to this cafe and... He was like five minutes late to the meeting. It was very close to his house. And he emails me and he goes, hey, I thought we were doing a phone call. I'm like, no, no, I'm actually at this cafe. And he was shocked. <laughs> he was like, I didn't think you would actually fly in. I'm like, yeah, man. I mean, I'm not going <laughs> to, you, you shot? go shoot your shot. And yeah, I was very, very fortunate. So I would say, uh, take risks. Um, don't be afraid to fail. Uh, if you're not failing frequently you're just not taking enough shots and that's the honest truth and sometimes life doesn't permit you to take as many shots as maybe you want 
but take your shots. Yeah, that's amazing advice. And I think we, we will end on that note because of how profound it was and how great it was. And Nima, uh, a career of upward progression, determination, persistence, you know, taking multiple shots on goals and allowing those in quotes, those failures to become just opportunities that you haven't uh, yet unturned. So thanks so much for being here. We've got so much to learn from this conversation and our audience uh, and, and me and everybody at Ramp Careers genuinely appreciates your time. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you as a friend. And I wouldn't be the salesperson I am today if it wasn't for having met you. I mean, if just watching you coach other salespeople is one of my favorite things, period. And that's <laughs> honest to God truth. Oh man, so now, now of course, now, now I'm blushing again, so we actually have to end. <laughs> <laughs> All right, until, until next time, everybody. All right, Thank you so much. Peace. Bye -bye.